0: The reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know well that you are a, be- a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, that is his wife, and then they will kill me, that they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why do you not tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave his men orders concerning him, and they set him on the way with his wife and all that he had. The word of the Lord.
1: Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When we first talked about journeys as a theme for Lent, the journey that we have been on in this community in the past week is not exactly the one we were thinking of. Our hope this Lent was to listen to the stories of men and women and families in scripture who are journeying, moving from one place to another. Sometimes because God calls them to do that. Sometimes because they're fleeing famine or injustice or mistreatment of some kind. Sometimes because they're looking for something, someone, for hope and new life. These stories are all over the Bible. They're not hard to find. They remind us that the borders we create and and so think and think are so important don't really matter to God that we are all created human and we are beloved regardless of our nationality. These stories tell us and show us over and over again that God is on the side of the the journeying ones, the travelers, the migrants, the immigrants, the refugees. That God always puts in the center of the community the experiences and well-being of those who are most marginalized and vulnerable. These are old stories, old stories, but the questions they ask and the realities that they face are not old at all. They are right in front of us, still debated, still questions we wonder about, still our reality even now. And so today we meet Abram and Sarai, whom we will come to know later as Abraham and Sarah, but that's a story for another day. We meet them in their comfortable life in Haran, when God suddenly asks them to pick up and move to Canaan. Now we're assuming, or I'm assuming, that they were relatively comfortable because they had a lot of stuff to bring with them. They had possessions, they had family, they even had people. A troubling reminder that Slavery is part of the biblical story in some uncomfortable ways. And they travel with all this stuff and the people to Canaan, which, by the way, is already inhabited with people. Another troubling reminder that biblical stories about who belongs in which land can get very messy, but that's a sermon for another day. At any rate, they travel to Canaan, and they settle there. And when they're there, God restates the promise that had called them in the first place, that they are going to be a blessing that they will have children, that they will have a land. Two of the great promises that God repeats in the Old Testament over and over again, a land to call home and children to continue the family. That's so far so good. But then there's a famine in the land. Now, of course, that's never good news, but in the Bible, famine usually portends really bad things. So Abram and Sarai leave the land the land that God promised them, and they do, as generations of people after them will do, when faced with scarcity and the fear of not having enough to eat. They move, they go, they migrate, <clears throat> they try whatever they can to keep themselves alive. In their case, they go to Egypt. I think it's hard to imagine how truly frightening that experience must have been. To have to leave your home, everything you know, because it's simply not possible to survive if you stay. That is a heart-wrenching choice. And in addition, Abram and Sarai appear to be walking away from the thing God has promised them. Where are those promises? They must wonder. Land? We're leaving it offspring? Nowhere to be seen. A great nation, a a name that is blessed for generations. What happened to it? No children, no nation, and now not even anything to eat. It must have seemed like the end of everything. So they go to Egypt, and things get even worse. So now they're in a new place. They are strangers in a strange land. They are not in charge. Their relatively comfortable lives are over, as far as they know. And Abram turns to his wife and says, Look, I know that you're very beautiful. And so when the Egyptians see you, they're going to kill me and take you. You'll live. So let's tell everybody that you're my sister so that it may go well for me because of you. And my life may be spared for your sake. Let's think about this plan for a minute, shall we? <laughs> Abram and Sarai are in a new land, which is disorienting at best. They've come out of desperation, wondering what happened to the God who made them all these promises. There are really good reasons for them to be anxious and afraid. And... None of us make our best decisions when we are anxious and afraid. But Abraham goes pretty far with the not great decisions, because if he's vulnerable, which he is as a stranger in a strange land, his wife is even more so. And yet his first thought, apparently his only thought, is for his own well-being. Did you notice in the reading that the moment... Abram proposes this story, this whole you're my sister thing, the story doesn't refer to her by by her name again. She's just the woman, the woman, the woman, and she's that way until God sees her, and then she's Sarai again. Abraham is sure, he knows, he knows that Sarai's beauty will put him in danger and so he demands this, concocts this lie to save his own skin even though it treats Sarai like a pawn in someone else's game and he does it all, he says so that it may go well for me because of you and my life will be spared for your sake I guess he's honest anyway I'm guessing that you, like I, have spent a fair amount of time this week thinking about that fine line between being prepared and being panicked. About the difference between moving too fast with information or moving too slow. About overreacting to danger and underreacting to danger. About trying to find the right spot, about the difference between wisdom and fear, and we should make no mistake, it is definitely fear that drives Abram to this series of lies that turn his wife into an object he can move around to save himself. In the end, the lies unravel as they always do, and Pharaoh finds out the truth, and yet, rather than kill Abram as Abram was so sure would happen, Pharaoh just tells him, take your wife and go. That's it. The threat that Abram had been so sure of turned out to be a lot less dangerous than the fear that drove his decision in the first place. Now, fear has its place. We need it as humans to warn us of real dangers, to amp up our heart rate and quicken our breathing and equip us to run or fight or do whatever it is we need to survive. But good things can become toxic. In the same way that sugar is a perfectly good part of your diet, unless all you eat is high fructose corn syrup, and then, not so great. I read a quote this week from poet and activist Sonia Sanchez, who wrote, "'Fear will make us move to save our own skins. Love also makes us save ourselves.' but it will make us move to save others as well. It's not hard to be fearful <clears throat> living here in these days. It's probably it's hard not to be anxious and worried as we see the spread of this virus and we worry about ourselves and we worry about people we love. And some of that fear has its place if it reminds us to be alert and aware and take sensible precautions and wash our hands and take seriously the impact that this virus can have on the most vulnerable in our midst. That's good. And alongside that, Abram's story today reminds us of what happens when fear goes too far, when it becomes fear of each other, when saving our own skins becomes all we can think about And we treat other people the way Abram treated Sarai, as if we can just move pieces around to make things better for us. None of us want to do that. We don't. And yet, when we're honest, we have to say we're just as capable of it as Abram was. Love makes us save ourselves, but it moves us to save others as well. I hope and pray and believe that that's the wisdom that guides each of us as individuals and us as a, as a community, as a congregation, as we figure out how to be, how to be together in this environment in the coming days and weeks. A colleague of mine who's a pastor in Seattle, Darla de France, she has a congregation in Columbia City. She wrote to her congregation this week. She said, We live in God's world, and there is nowhere we can go that is beyond God's presence. Home, work, school, church, hospitals, restaurants, forests, and street corners. These are uncertain times in Seattle, but the world is always full of mystery and unknown. Certain circumstances just make it more obvious. Throughout the best and worst life brings, God is with us. We hold to that. And then she continued. She said one of the hallmarks of Jesus' life and ministry was the way he always placed the well-being of the most marginalized and vulnerable people at the center of the community. So she said given that, as we consider how to respond to this virus outbreak, we are committed to giving the highest consideration to those who are at most at risk from this virus. I told you earlier that this afternoon, the executive committee, the president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, myself and Pastor Mike, will be gathering in prayer. And with this this thinking in mind, we'll look at the most recent information that's available to us, the recommendations of our county's health department, the guidance of our bishop and our synod leadership, the most updated health information we can have. And in a spirit of confidence and hope, we will make the best decisions we think we can make about how we can be church together. Fear will not be the guiding force. Because when this moment passes, which it will, when it's done, we will want to look back and say that we as a congregation have done all we can to ensure the health and well being of all of our neighbors. Fear makes us save ourselves, but love also moves us to save others. Remember that. Abram and Sarah teach us that. Jesus' life and death and resurrection show us that. And that's always our call, now, here, but anywhere and always, in all circumstances, to live with that love and that confidence at the center of our lives. Because the story of scripture also proclaims to us that love casts out fear. And every time we journey toward that love, with that love, God is with us. Thanks be to God. Amen.